when film criticism is as provocative as ever, Feelin' Film ventures to change the discussion from what we hate about a film to what we love about it. We judge more on emotional experience than technical merit, because every movie makes us feel something. Greetings, programs and listeners. Welcome to episode 71 of the Feelin' Film podcast. I'm Patrick, and with me helping to make the perfect system is my best friend and co-host, Aaron. Hey, man. Hello. How are you this evening? I am very excited and ready to go. Good, man. Well, this week we are covering the 2010 sequel to a film that, in my opinion, was way ahead of its time. In 1983, Tron hit the theaters, and 27 years later, Tron Legacy followed suit. And this week, we are joined once again by those boys from the Retro Rewind podcast, Francisco Ruiz and Paul Powers. What's up, gentlemen? What's up? Hey, what's up? How are you guys doing? Doing good. We are doing so well, glad ready to fight. Fight for, for the, the users. users. For the yep. users or the podcasters, <laughs> the listeners. We're going to fight for somebody. <laughs> All of the above. All of the above. We're really glad to have you on the show. And I was so glad that as we were talking offline to get this episode ready to roll, this actually came out of a previous episode on the Retro Rewind podcast that I got a chance to be on when we covered Tron. And the conversation was had afterwards that uh, possibly a crossover should happen because Tron Legacy was spoken of quite highly and quite a lot during our episode. And uh, if I remember correctly, I think we immediately tried to set up a, a time and a date to, to get this going. We did. I don't yeah. think I was invited, though. <laughs> uh, you were invited, but you were busy kind of, you know, going on the circuit of podcasts, you know. Cruising. Making, cruising, yeah. You yeah, were, you were cruising for a bruising. Was, a cruising. I, was I cruising when you did? You were on your strong? cruise, yeah. Yeah, oh, you're fair cruising. enough. I guess, I guess you get a pass. I'm like, I have to relax, and I can't do Tron. Well, I, I at least get to do the better Tron movie, so there's that. Whoa! Oh, shots fired already. Shots fired. <laughs> well, well, I will say the music's better, but we'll leave it at that. <laughs> you know, we can get into that, but I will, as a spoiler, say yes, I agree with that statement. <laughs> there was a lot that was definitely very refreshing about this second installment of Tron Legacy. And I want to just go ahead and get the conversation started because I'm pretty excited. I know you guys are. And I wanted to ask you, what was your initial takeaway when you watched this? I know we've seen it multiple times, but if you can recall back to your first time or maybe your most recent for the podcast, what did you guys uh, feel coming out of this, uh, this watch? Well, let me first start by saying spoilers here they come and they're going to come in droves so if you haven't seen tron legacy yet please do yourself a favor go check out the movie then come back and listen to the podcast because as always we want to do it justice and so we're going to talk about it openly with that being said patrick i don't think that i will ever be able to say enough about how much i love this movie it's that movie just ended and i'm ready to hit play again immediately kind of love for oh. me, it is perfect, honestly. And every viewing has just cemented that more. There is so much imagination from the director, Joseph Kaczynski, and his team of writers. So much visual and audible wonder. All of it, to me, just stands out extremely strong in a world where comic book movies, sequels, and reboots are full of visual effects, but 
they seem to be kind of devoid of anything uniquely surprising or memorable. Like, this is how you do a sequel. It also has to do, for me, a lot with the nostalgia. The moment when Sam walks into Flynn's old arcade for the first time is really incredible. It brings us back to our first viewing of Tron, and also our days growing up for all four of us of living in the arcade, just, you know, chunking quarters in the machines. It's a connection. Mm, yeah, I mean, it's a connection that Sam has with his dad, and to me, right there in one single quarter, despite his dad being gone, the grin on his face as he sets up to play the game brings me a lot of joy. And also the story. So the original Tron, as you mentioned, was a landmark of the 1980s, fully embraced style over substance. Legacy, to me, follows up that attitude, and I think with a much more deeply thought-provoking plot. And I think that the reason why it works so amazingly well for me is that I can sense the true passion that Kaczynski had in making this movie. He is an absolute fanboy himself, and it absolutely showed. Um, the film is just a complete joyride, and it doesn't, while, while it doesn't completely go all in on the philosophical, metaphorical, and religious themes that it touches on, I think that the restraint in that department is what helps it strike a perfect balance between heady and blissful escapism. And it's just so much fun. And that's why I appreciate it and love it. Cool. It, it, sort of a, in overall, I agree with you, Aaron. Uh, I want to touch on something specifically you said, though, that it gets better and better for you as you see it. I remember my first viewing of Tron Legacy. I went with my wife to uh, go see it in IMAX. And I remember the visuals were great. And I, I think I liked the movie. Um, I wasn't. I had seen Tron maybe once or twice before the original Tron and thought it was for the most part boring, <laughs> but, um, I was like, okay, I'm glad, I'm glad I have a baseline now to go see Tron legacy. And it was like, wow, this looks way better. And, um, and the, the story was like, uh, oh, okay. And then I saw it again, um, later on and I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, I like this movie. Why don't I own this? And then I saw it again. I'm like, why don't I own this movie? I like this so much. And there's so much to this story. And then, and that just was even more so is even, it seems to exponentially grow in my enjoyment of this movie, the more I see it. And I especially get more and more out of the story and out of like the, the sort of philosophical and religious themes that are sort of embedded in it. Mm -hmm. And the visuals just keep staying fresh with me, and I I love that aspect of it. The music's okay. No, I mean the music is sounding. <laughs> Holy cow! Well, I was about I'm to drop you so. from that call. <laughs> Holy moly! Wait, where did Francisco go? It's so weird. Uh, but yeah, so that is my initial impressions with Tron Legacy, and um, similar to Aaron, it sounds uh, it's just gone better with each each viewing for me. Wow, that's really weird. Because when I first saw this movie, I saw it IMAX 3D, like right there. And I had seen it several times growing up. So I was stoked for this movie. And by the end, I... You saw the original Tron growing up or you saw Tron Legacy growing up? Are you a time traveler, Paul? No. Oh, if Okay. I, just like you, I saw Tron younger and then oh, when okay. tron legacy came out in the theaters <laughs> i saw it imax 3d we all there okay we're on the same page thank you okay so you know blown away by the visuals yes uh, 
But honestly, I was disappointed by the end of the movie because, you know, here's Flynn dying. And I don't want to see that. He's been the hero for two movies. So, you know, I was not impressed with the story. The visuals, yes. The the Actually, the first time I saw the mu- the music was kind of like, okay, these are just Daft Punk like scenes like him on the road, like going, all right, they're just showing off their like techno stuff. Yeah, get on with it. Get on with it. But very similar to you guys the i've this is my fourth time watching it i think and each time it's gotten better and i love the soundtrack now in fact i anyway it's it's great and the more i watch it the more i understand like certain things about it that i pick up on that i didn't before like mm-hmm. you know maybe flynn totally. didn't die maybe he oh. saved on that that backup disc at the end that Sam has around his neck, you know, maybe, uh, maybe, uh, maybe Tron didn't die when he sunk in the water, when his lights came on. Yeah. I I feel like that was him becoming, having almost the, the evil or whatever you want to call that clue, his clues programming (laughs) cleanse. Yes, exactly. But I thought, see what I first saw, I thought, Oh, that's him going back and dying and going back to his original state you know, as he's dying. But anyway, wow. there's lots that can be drawn out uh, uh, on multiple viewings, and, and there's mm-hmm. different theories behind them. Well, these are fantastic opening thoughts, guys. <laughs> and I would have to agree with a lot of them and disagree with a few, and hopefully as the discussion rolls on, we'll be able to flesh that stuff out. But there's one word that, from this latest viewing, I, I think could sum up what I feel is probably the most emotional connection that I have with this. And that's energy. This movie has so much energy from the moment that we get into the opening title card, all the neon. And then we get into Sam's kind of escapade going into, or, you know, the flashback with, with, with Flynn and young Sam, and then, you know, Sam's prank on income. And then you lead into getting him onto the grid. Everything just felt so energetic. It felt very alive something that I'm just kind of toying with in the world of design is this idea that how do you make a creative piece of art feel alive? And one way is to attach vibrant color to it. And we talked a little bit about that on the Tron episode where color was an important piece. Well, if, if that was the slight point in Tron, Tron Legacy took it to a whole new level. And not just the color, but everything else. It just felt so immersive and overblown in probably the best way possible that it, it it almost it just forced you into the movie it said we're not going to just gradually bring you in we're going to say here come on and if you don't like it sorry because you're in for a ride and in some ways i felt like what legacy did from that standpoint through the score the visuals the the pacing everything i think it's what this creative team said, we wanted Tron to be this, but we didn't want it to be a rehash. We wanted it to be something fresh. And so it kind of brings me to my first question in that, does Legacy act as a logical narrative step forward in the franchise from the first one or more of an attempt to grab nostalgia dollars from fans of the original or both? I mean, does it effectively do both? Does it you know, does does it feel heavy handed in one and not in the other? What, what do you guys think? Well, I, I think that 
I, I mean, I absolutely think it's a narrative step forward. I mean, I kind of raved a little bit there, and one of my main points was that I do like the story. I, I understand that that's a weakness to some. Some folks have seen the film, and they they, they don't think it's fully explored, and, and, you know, it's it's kind of, like I said, it's not it's not all the way committed to. <laughs> it's kind of some themes and ideas thrown out there without a ton of, you know, re- resolution for all of them in a, in a way that we would think of the thing of a story being wrapped up, but it's more de-resolution. It, yeah. Here you go. Oh gosh. Are Ding. we going to be, are there we going to have, are we going to have puns going now? Like we got to have, well, puns. you, you got have Francisco us on the podcast. That's yeah. what we bring. <laughs> um, so I, I do think it's a step forward uh, for me personally. I, I don't think it's a nostalgia grab, frankly, because, Tron is not that huge of a property, honestly. I mean, it is it's it is big with nerds, you know. But if you go out there and you just ask people off the street, "Hey, have you seen the original Tron?" Not necessarily. A, a lot of them are going to say yes. So, I think that they are capitalizing on a method of storytelling with the visuals of this particular franchise now. And using that to catapult and tell a new story. So in that regard, they're kind of using it. I just don't call it nostalgia. To me, it's it's taking a really cool idea from the 80s and putting a 2017 coat of paint on it. It's kind of like, you know, when we got big jumps up from hand-drawn animation to CGI. You're just taking the next logical step forward in evolution of, of a product. Uh, and, and so this is a story that needed a new coat of paint. Yeah. And sort of along those lines, I, I feel like it wasn't uh, like a cash grab just for nostalgia's sake, because I think you're right, Aaron, most people, uh, if you just told, ask them on the street, have you seen Tron? They probably, a lot of them would say no, but I bet the majority of them would be aware of the Tron brand and have at least the, seen the poster in the, in the back of Chuck's uh, room because there's a lot of Chuck fans out there, uh, but, <laughs> or just at Disneyland or what have you, uh, I think I think people are aware of that Tron is a thing. It was a movie, had something to do with computers, and so I think there is an element of like, let's let's yeah let's, and I I want to say reboot in terms of visuals and music. It's not reboot in the story, which I prefer. I'm I'm very thankful that this is actually oh i think it's a logical continuation of the narrative and that it goes from telling this story this, this origin story in a way and this story of a guy trying to get back the stuff that was stolen from him to a more compelling story of a rescue mission that i find a lot more engaging and i can connect with that a little bit more than oh i, I lost all these programs that i never wrote and now i need to get them back yeah, that happened to me. So cool. Um, so I, I think it's it's much more of a let's let's tell a, a fresh story with fresh visuals, fresh music, fresh, 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 fresh bread, and let's uh, move forward and let's make money doing it. I wish it made more money so that they would make another one. But we're gonna have ourselves here, here. Stop there. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't do that to us. <laughs> we will kick you off the show again. This is like two strikes against you, Francisco, for getting kicked <laughs> off the show. <laughs> if I want another Tron? No, no, no. The fact that you bring up the fact that we're not going to get one because oh. Disney's like, 
<laughs> I'm like, dumb. Oh, I didn't realize we were going that route. Well, oh, if no, Disney I wanted to, yes. if Disney wanted to do a cash grab, they could make a sequel straight to video, like they have. True. So, I would say this is not a cash grab because that's not in par with how Disney does cash grabs. But anyway, yeah, okay. <laughs> okay. here we go. <laughs> Um, I would say that this is definitely continues a story. In fact, I feel it's like part three of a story because I keep referring back to the part two, which would be them uh, building the city and then Clue taking over and then finding the ISOs. That went a whole different direction, but that seems like a whole story. Like they could have done easily a whole movie in and of itself right there. And this would be part three of that. So um, yes, it's definitely continuing to move the narrative forward, uh, and, and they did leave it at a cliffhanger, so it it opens it up for to that for that story to continue. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that it is a logical step forward. I do think that, and I don't know if I mentioned this when I first asked the question, but I specifically was thinking about fans of the original. Yes, if you ask that common person on the street hey, have you seen Tron? And like, what's that? Is that, what's that referring to? I'm sure you get a lot of those. But as someone who grew up with the movie, I noticed some of the callbacks, some of the kind of the the connections to the original Sam breaking into That's income. That's a big door. That's a big door. Yeah, things like that. And There's a lot of them in there. And I only realized this because we had just recently saw the original. So yeah, right. there are. So I don't think those were unintentional, obviously. At the same time, you could have taken a property like this and you could have done several of these things that you guys talked about. One, rebooted it, retold the same story, which I guess would have been fine, although you wouldn't have gotten the immersive story that I, I would agree with Aaron and that you get in this. Uh, and secondly, you get this this these callbacks, but not so many of them that it just feels like a mishmash of just continuous like oh remember that remember that remember that they all felt like they were leading to a point that helped support the narrative it wasn't just it's no force awakens okay hey there we go we're not this is no this is no episode four rehashed right and so the narrative itself i think as a whole lends itself to being something very strong and particularly the father-son dynamic not just with with Flynn and Sam, but also with with Flynn and Clue. I picked up on that this time around. There's this interesting relationship that these these pairings have where you have um, you have a true father-son relationship in Kevin and Sam. Oh, it's, yeah, in, in Flynn and Sam, but also this other interesting creator son, father-son, you know, offspring with Flynn and Clue. And what I, I thought was really interesting was the character of Clue being more fleshed out in this film. Because I think we talked about on Retro that we didn't even realize that Clue was actually an original idea from the, from yeah. the original film. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. thought he was sort of made up mm-hmm. for this film. And it was so cool to see kind of that connection there. But to really round him out and to make him an antagonist as opposed to just a throwaway program, <laughs> quite literally... I, I thought that was fantastic. Did you guys pick up on, obviously, either father-son dynamic? Did you see the the, the Flynn and Clue this time around or in your first viewings? 
So much, so much. It's definitely stuck out more and more and more the more I've watched the movie. And that's one of the things like we all were kind of saying there at the opening. Um, the more, the first time you watch this, you are so blown away by the visuals and the sound that you don't care about the story. Like at least most of us, like we don't really pay any attention to what's happening. Um, at least, at, at least that's how I felt about it. I'm assuming you guys were similar. You're just kind of, it's overload and you're like, wow. So then as you see it more and more, you're able to then start to pick up on these relationships and these things that are going on. There's so much to talk about when we start talking about clue and Flynn as father and son figures. I mean, we've got historical metaphors to discuss. We've got religious comparisons to discuss. So I want to start with Sam and Flynn for me, because something I, I almost made this my connecting point. Um, was the opening scene with Kevin, uh, with Flynn, I guess we should always refer to him as Flynn to make it easy, and then Sam. And he was telling him the story of Tron. And I thought this was just really well done. I mean, it's it's bringing the story for a new generation of people who may not have seen the original Tron. So while as a moviegoer, I don't particularly love like recaps in sequels, I thought that the way that this one was done was really, really cool. And you you got a sense of how much their relationship or what their relationship was like between Flynn and, and Sam as a kid. And the other thing I really picked up on there was honestly that that Flynn was leaving him. And the, I think it was Flynn's parents. Is that right? Was it the grandparents that were I in the room? So, yeah. Yeah, there's, there's a flash to to people so. watching from the living room, and I yeah, I don't I remember wondering if that's the mother's parents or the the father's parents. Yeah, I, I I think the only thing I can think of is later in the movie Sam mentions what had happened to Flynn's parents that they yeah. had died, and so that's mm-hmm. the only connection I had to maybe think it was his. But the thing that hit me here was we got a scene of bonding. And that's how I took it. Emotionally, I was starting to kind of be sucked into this relationship going, okay, this is really sweet. This is a father talking to his son. They're sharing a hobby. The son wants to be like his dad and go into the the grid. It's really cool. And then I was like, wait, he's just visiting. And wait, he's where's he going? He's leaving. And wait, why are there these other old people in the room? Like, does the kid not live with him? Like, what? Where, what's he doing? And I started oh. to think about how obsessive Flynn had become with his career right and realized that oh wait a second he's actually kind of putting his career before his child or his hobby his art and so I started realizing this is such a more dynamic relationship than it then it's not one note right it's not just hey dad and son have a great relationship and dad disappears there's an element here of almost abandonment that Sam has to deal with as he goes into the grid to find his father. And so I picked up on all of that this time and it was pretty cool for me to, to see that and, and to see how deftly it was added in my opinion to the story. So one thing I, I don't think he went in to find his, Oh no. Yeah, he's got a page from his dad. That's right. Though it turned out to be clue. Sorry, I got a little confused. I'm like, did he go in to look for his father? I thought he went in to just find out where this page came from. But you're right. Yeah, to find his father. Anyway, my brain fart aside, um, 
back to the father-son dynamic, I, I actually, I, I'm right there with you, Aaron, about uh, seeing this Kevin, uh, this Flynn and Sam dynamic because Sam definitely sees him as a hero early on. And I hate that that's, I never really thought about how maybe Flynn is become almost too obsessive at, at work. And he, he sounds like when they're talking over the dinner table after Sam's uh, gone into the grid that, uh, yeah, I had you, I had income. I couldn't be in here all the time. To me, that sounded like he, he was trying. And I, I feel like when he, when you see, uh, Flynn's dreams and that sort of mini, uh, life flashing before your eyes sequence at the end, you see him only seeing images of Sam. So I think he, now that could be just because it's like, he's sad that he missed out on his son's life and that's why he's seen Sam. And if he, if he hadn't gotten stuck there, he may have become more obsessive with, uh, creating bio digital jazz. But, um, it seems like at least from what we see in the movie that he had a deeper connection with his son. He may not have shown it in a way he should have. Uh, but I'm curious, do you guys think that, uh, he could have had how he could have changed his dynamic with Clue to make Clue not rebel. Do you think there's any way that that could have happened? Yeah, program. <laughs> yeah, I, well, no, you're right. The right? magic word, program. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Okay, then why didn't he do that though? Yeah, I know because it ruins the uh, the screenwriter's story. Oh, okay. <laughs> Well, I think once he realizes Clue is out of bounds, that he's stuck at that point. He's inside. He can't rewrite him from inside, can he? Well, he made well, him from he, inside. He does some rewriting to Cora. Um, to Cora when she's he's trying to fix the damaged code. So well, I, she's an ISO. I mean, she's. I mean, well, Clue would know, have to ISO want stuff. to be rewritten. Yeah. Oh, or they just have tell to him that look. I'm going to make you something. more perfect because I found a new way. And Clue's Whoa. like liar, liar. He's like liar. <laughs> <laughs> don't believe his lies Gosh. <laughs> it's good for a film and film without a memento reference I don't... <laughs> it's coming up <laughs> uh yeah <laughs> well first of all paul i, I sorry uh francisco i just want to correct you it's oh, yeah. bio digital jazz man. man if you're gonna if you're gonna quote it you gotta <laughs> quote it right okay <laughs> to you know, to all to, to to you guys point about the father son relationship i i find both francisco and aaron's thoughts really intriguing because i'm having trouble sort of reconciling was he a good father in terms of like what we perceive which is him abandoning his kid for the sake of work but also getting clues that he was always connected with his son he was always he wanted and that maybe there was a life that the abandonment was I don't know if it was it was necessarily like hinted at from their relationship to Sam because I would become bitter if my dad <laughs> disappeared and didn't hear from him again, especially if I had a tight relationship with him. Or but, or maybe he didn't have full custody of him. They don't know. We don't know. Right, maybe that mom's that's his, dead. Maybe, yeah, yeah. Well, maybe it's his mom's parents. So why wouldn't he have? custody if his mom just died i'm just saying we don't know there's That's, a lot we don't know that We're was speculating. But that was the speculation was the mom has died and now the kid is clearly living with the grandparents and i was no, like no no that's why? not no the grandparents are yes. just there 
for the night to be to be babysitters. I mean, why? Oh, I see. I guess I am speculating because that is an op- that is a possibility. Right. So we're making these, and I think the ambiguity really helps the story because we get to decide what kind of father. Yeah, Flint is, yeah. according to Sam. I don't know if that was intentional, but that's kind of what I've pulled away from this is going, do I do I appreciate the father-son relationship even more because of the the unintentional abandonment that Flynn had? I mean, that do I believe that he wanted to get back to Sam? Now, to what you were saying, Aaron, there's a really interesting thing about being obsessed with work and being kind of pulled in to your 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 world of work. I don't know if I've – I'm trying to figure out if i talked to one of you guys about this, but I have lately been sort of in a groove at work where I feel like I'm making strides here and there. I'm just – yeah, I'm, you know, I'm like a wave, you know, a, a biodigital wave, man. You know, it's cool. But I feel like – Biodigital jazz, Mr. Corrector. No, this is my quote. This is not Flint. Well, not, <laughs> As the creator of the podcast, he can he can change and and recreate. You're just you're just a program here, Francisco. <laughs> I see. I, I hear my place. Living the neon dream, uh, but now I I find that there are times when if I'm in this groove and I feel like I want to I want to stay at work longer and to finish problem solving and and finish certain pieces of a project because of the fact that it hints at my it hints into my the, my world of desire to design and create and things like that. And I find myself every once in a while going, okay, I need to cut away from this and start and go home and be with my family. Because there are times when I'm thinking about problem solving and things that I could be doing uh, at my job that could help better things. And on a bigger scale, I think that's kind of what Flynn sort of presents himself as because throughout the film, he talks about his passion of being able to create the perfect system to do away with disease to how all this stuff was going to change the world and how that seems so altruistic. <laughs> but when you sacrifice your family in which it sounds like it's hinted at there, see, this is where I'm conflicted now because I'm getting both of those thoughts in my head. It, it forces me to think what's important to Flynn. Now, by the end of the film, I feel like, his relationship with Sam is the most important, but only as a result of his changing of mind being inside the grid for so long and but trying to he, go ahead. He's, he said he didn't go back because if he did go back, clue would go back and take over the world and take over his family, mm. you know, and obliterate everybody. So he was protecting them. So what he did he think go- about. Cause the door, the thing closed. No, no, he could go back, but he said, uh, you're right, it did close, but there was a time where he could go back, and he decided not to because right. Clue wanted to go back with him. That is correct. Be- oh, that's right. I, I took it to, the way I interpreted that sequence was that he couldn't get back without being captured by Clue, and if he was captured by Clue, Clue would get his disc, and then Clue would be able to go back. That's how I I. Same concept. Slash so his his sacrifice was to wait for the portal to close, right? Because he yeah. knew that it could not be open from the inside. So I think mm-hmm. that's that's kind of where we're getting that. But oh, okay, his pursuit of perfection, Flynn's, and then ultimately down to Clue, was a huge theme in this film. Something that I was really not expecting, because when you walk into a film like Tron Legacy, and you get the the teases of the of the cool visuals and the 
and the, and the great music from the trailers. And then you, for the first probably third of the movie, you go, oh, okay, this is going to sort of be, um, have similar story beats where, you know, user goes into grid to do something and, but it starts fleshing itself out. It becomes more of a father son relationship. And then we get into this really interesting theme about pursuing perfection. And we see growth and change in Flynn contrasted against this relationship with clue. And I thought this is, this is thought out. This is, this is not just throwing nostalgia at an audience. This is saying, you know what? We're going to take a property and we're going to give it a little bit of life here. In fact, we're going to give it more than life. We're going to give it bio-digital jazz, man. I mean, we're going to really rock and roll with this. And I, I really, I was incredibly impressed with that line of storytelling, with that particular theme that was resonated all throughout because I thought it personally rounded out the characters a lot more, that Clue was more than a villain. Like I, I've said on the show quite a bit that I love sympathetic villains. I love villains that I can not just say you're not an ah, 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 twist your mustache and, you know, destroy at the end, that you have a villain that actually has a, a sense of a roundness to them so you can care a little bit, have some sympathy. Uh, did you guys see any of that? Well, we do see a lot of it at the end, but uh, up from Clue regarding his kind of, uh, there's a there's a few scenes that lend us to thinking about him being a sympathetic character. I definitely see him as being part of a, a kind of a metaphorical relationship with Flynn in the sense of Clue is very much almost like a Satan figure in this film to me. Um, he if if Flynn is considered to be a God, which is multiple times he is referred to as a God or to as a deity. He is a creator. Then we have clue who is essentially saying that God has created these user or these programs to be enslaved, to do their bidding. They are bound to the garden of Eden, so to speak. They are not allowed to taste the tree of knowledge because that would give them power. And here's Clue bringing on this rebellion and this revolt against that to go do their own thing. Uh, it's, I, 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 and I had never really picked up on this before this viewing, and it was weird that I started seeing it, but that's, that's what I got out of it. I also saw him as sort of a Hitler figure, to be honest. There's a lot of times where he's talking about wiping out imperfection um, and that it's just completely unacceptable um, that we need to rid everyone of their imperfections, um, specifically in this big speech he gives, um, and that at the end, and that's where, you know, where he's got it's an awesome scene, by the way, visually, like you have like all these thousands of people lined up and he's standing up and it's almost even like you have banners, like almost like Nazi banners hanging down behind him. It's, it's really creepy. Uh, but, but that's, I mean, he is a blend of, of a lot of different evil characters that we, we know of and um, I think that it all made sense to me right because just as in Christianity Satan was an angel he knew God I mean he they were almost what I almost was gonna say they were buddies right but like (laughs) it's not quite how the relationship works probably but I mean there was reason there's reason plenty of reason for him not to rebel Um, but ultimately 
he decided he knew what was right for the world over what the creator thought was the world should be. And so thus the fall. And then he spends his entire life attempting to get rebellious or form rebellion against the creator. So, so those are the two parallels I pulled out of clue and Flynn this time. I don't know if you guys saw either one of those or both. Well, it's interesting. I definitely feel like, um, I mean, we sort of say, uh, and that's in the speech at the end where clue and Flynn are conversing. Um, uh, he said like, or, uh, Clue said something effective, like, I just want to make the perfect system. And uh, Flynn says, I love this line, that the thing about perfection is that it's unknowable. And it's definitely unknowable for us. And I I think that almost going back, jumping back to what we were just talking about, about uh, Flynn going into work because almost seemingly abandoning Sam, going to work to just make this thing better and better and better. It's It's that Flynn that was the one who created clue. And so that per like you guys have said the, that pursuit of perfection and thinking that you can find perfection being in clue. It almost makes me, I think it sort of like what you said, patch, it makes clue almost even more sympathetic in that just, he, he's just a product of how he was made. And because Flynn himself is imperfect, unlike God, um, that imperfection went into Clue, who didn't really rebel out of pride. He just rebelled because he is a flawed program, trying to go after something which he couldn't really ultimately get. Yeah, um, that's an interesting point. So, I, I, one thing though, did he, Aaron, going back to what you said, did he, did Clue say that he was trying to? Why did you say he's trying to wipe out the ISOs? I think I I, I I experienced the film a little different way than you than you experienced it, and I just wanted to level set about that because because he did well because he did yeah the ISOs are the ISOs are imperfection, I mean they are yeah. they're a symbol of the imperfection. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, and that's why. But you said something like, "Oh, you're referencing the Garden of Eden." Are the ISOs like? It's not a perfect analogy. Let me, let me okay. read. Well, let me read. <laughs> let me read analogy. his speech real quick because I think I think when you read it or you hear it in this context, you're gonna hear exactly what I'm talking about. Of of Satan. Put, put an echo. Put an, yeah, put an echo behind it so it makes it really nice. Imagine this is Satan talking to <laughs> Adam and Eve, right? He okay. says we've. So he says we've made. He's talking about the vast complex system that they've created. And he says we've maintained it, we've improved it, we've rid it of its imperfection. Not to mention rid it of the false deity who sought to enslave us. My fellow programs, let there be no doubt that our world is a cage no more. For at this moment, the key to the next frontier is finally in our possession. And unlike our selfish creator, who reserved the privilege of our world only for himself, I will make their world open and available to all of us. Yes, to all of us. And whatever we find there, there our system will grow. Our system will blossom. Do this. Prove yourselves. Prove yourselves to me and be loyal. I will not betray you. Maximize efficiency. Rid the new system of imperfection. My vision is clear. Out there is a new world. Out there is victory. Out there is our destiny. Do you see it? You know what? Well, yes. I just, as you read that, it's so interesting. The one thing I picked up on, and it didn't pick up on it while I was watching the movie because that speech wasn't, as clear um 
So thank you for rereading it, Aaron. But I did it better the whole than idea Jeff Bridges that, is what you're telling me. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you got some true grit there. It's all in the race. <laughs> Aaron <Perfect>. abides. <laughs> but that idea, when he said, I will not betray you. And I'm like, really? Really? He won't be? Oh, wait. There's an example of him betraying because his, right, his sort of a uh, crony guy, the very pale man, mm-hmm. he, doesn't he kill him? Am yes. I misremembering that? Yes, after yeah. the disc. Is, but yeah, that, yeah. He kills him after that speech, but yeah. But still, <laughs> it's like, oh, so he, if you're in my way, I will betray you. Or mm-hmm. even if you're on my side, if you fail me, I'll betray I, I'm not going to be okay with that. So I guess that's not quite betrayal, but it's like, I was about to say, uh, that, no, that guy you're failed just, him. You're just saying that to get people on your side. You're not really going to not betray them because you're... <laughs> oh my gosh of course that's why he's given the speech to get people on his side well they shouldn't fall for it come on <laughs> well <laughs> I, I agree yeah i, I don't know I, I look at i look at clue as there gosh there are so many different like touches of analogies that 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 were that are rolling through my head right now i, I see him as a hitler in creating a perfect race there's a very big parallel there where he is if there is an imperfection as with um jews and handicapped people and um they would just be exterminated which we saw obviously with the point you guys just made there's hints to me and again not a perfect analogy at all but the relationship between flynn and sam and clue feels like uh, touches of the the parable of the lost sons <laughs> in scripture the idea that you have uh, not just the the son that that rebels and eventually comes back but also the other son that feels very gypped and very much um he has his own issues to deal with i also saw clue as and, and i think this is why i connected with it a little bit more this time even really particularly through our conversation tonight I saw a clue. There were hints of Man of Steel in this for me, and one in particular was how Clue reminds me a lot of Zod. So Zod is this creation from uh, a system, and he was created for a purpose to be a warrior, and in a lot, and 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 that's why I enjoyed him as a flawed character, as as the as the villain that he was, is because he had he he didn't ask to be that. He just embraced it because that's who he was. That's his identity was in that. And Clue's identity is in creating the perfect system. And there's that moment, oh my goodness, there's that moment where, where Clue says, Flynn, are we still to make the perfect system? And he goes, yeah. yeah. And, then, and then the big showdown happens. And in that moment, I felt like, oh my gosh, who feels betrayed here? Is it Flynn because he's being attacked by his program? Or is it actually Clue? Because he feels betrayed by his creator. Because for so long they put all this effort into creating the perfect system. And in Clue's, and from Clue's perspective, he's just thrown that away. So Clue doesn't have this emotional connection to the ISOs. He doesn't have an emotional connection to anything. It's just a logical thing. And it's like we see this limitation in him. This flaw of like, I can't feel what you feel, Flynn. I can't feel the value of these ISOs. They are an imperfection to me and I'm going to pursue that. And so in that moment, I felt like, man, I feel for Clue because Mm. he can't, you know? 
Mm-hmm. And it's and I, just it's just a great moment. And it's I terrible. Feel like moment. The, it's great. There's hints of uh, Frankenstein's monster too, mm, with that yeah, he's he, he's created and he's way stronger than his creator, at least in the context of that system. Um, I mean, I guess ultimately Flynn's if Flynn's willing to die, he's stronger. But um, or is he? Hashtag Flynn lives. Know. It's it's against. <laughs> It's a, it, again speculation, but moving on. Anyway, uh, but yeah, he's he's created he's created kind of out of um, Flynn's pride because he's like, well, I I think I can, I just need help to make this perfect system. That's all I need to make something perfect. I, I just need some help with, to do it, and then we can do it. Um, so it's all about efficiency. From, yeah, yeah. So just like Frankenstein, um, thinking, oh, I can make life. I just need some lightning and body parts, and I'm good. Uh, but then, yeah, it turns on him, and uh, so yeah. I, I, but but at the same time, you can feel for the the monster. You can feel for Clue because they they weren't they don't have that emotion. They're not connected with the human race, so to speak, mm-hmm. or the ISOs in this case. Um, they're not connected with true life, uh, sentient beings, the way sentient other sentient beings would. So. I'm I'm mainly just echoing what you said, Patrick, in different words. Well, let me let me let me just kind of finish with this question to you, Francisco. Do you think mm-hmm. that their relationship would have been better had they been able to perform putting on the Ritz together? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> no, those are, that's, 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 those are great thoughts. Uh, Paul, do you have something you want to say? Um. Yeah. No, I no. Uh, you guys <laughs> hit all the points on that. Yeah. Well, I think I think that it's it's an AI story and and all AI stories are going to deal with this in some some regard. Mm-hmm. You know, the fact Wait, that Is Haley Joel Osment in this? It's not <laughs> Oh my. No, it's not artificial intelligence. No. No, 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 no. Um not even artificial ingredients. It is, but all AI <laughs> stories deal with this idea or the good ones deal with this idea of, you know, at what point does the AI become alive? It's what makes Ex Machina such a great film, right? It really mm-hmm. looks at this idea of, is there a point where the AI can feel, can start to have that emotion? And it's funny because you start to see Clue exhibiting those qualities, right? And you start to wonder, like, what kind of evolution has this program, you know, it, it developed, um, there's there's a strong sense of evolution in the film actually that goes into you know with Quora and what's that? Well, you know what you say that, but I almost feel like those the the emotion that we see is just really the how Flynn old Flynn would have reacted if he had been faced with a similar predicament. So he's so Clue is just echoing what what was essentially in Flynn at that time and. At, Flynn's point of life. So I don't know if he necessarily has evolved any. I think he's just he's just um, regurgitating because I can't think of a better word. What he knows, um, yeah. Well, what so, do you think but, about but, what do you think about the ISOs then? Because the ISOs are, are this part of the film that, for me, I feel like the first time I saw it, honestly, this was like a make or break thing for me. I was a little confused. I'm wondering if anybody else ever yeah. was confused. And I, I, I still am. Okay. <laughs> okay. So the ISOs yeah. are these miracles, I, as Flynn puts it, right? Yeah. I feel like it, the way that 
it seems to come across as very much uh, um, an ev- uh, evolutionary. They, they um, feel evolutionary. Mode, I mean, they, yeah, they yeah, spontaneously. Like they, they, were, they did. They uh, spontaneously evolved right. on the grid. Mm-hmm. Or did they? That's what it appeared. But maybe they. You you know you build the right ingredients and uh, the right species will come along. Yeah, maybe you they... run the omega three fatty acids, and there you go. <laughs> there yeah. it is. I Does anyone know if that. this is like <laughs> legit programming stuff? Can can our computer like actually just can it can a virus or or some sort of program just see that's that's evil. what that's confuses get... me because the answer is no. Everything. Well, no, that's where you get to the singularity when a computer can create something that's better than itself, or or singularity when a computer understands itself. I'll have to research singularity, but there's a point. But computers can't create life, at least at this point. Well, it depends. I guess that goes into how you define life. Well, depends on if we're talking about microorganisms on Mars or what's in women's uh, uterus. Okay, you're not going to say <laughs> uterus on this show. That's not cool. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, I just heard uterus. That's all I heard right there. Uh, <laughs> no anatomy talk. All right, no, I'm fine. Kidding. I'm getting bogged in getting the bogged. womb. Sorry. No, no, it's okay. It's how uh, how you define what life is is you know up for debate. But going back, essentially, that computer anything in a computer is there because it's designed or programmed to be. Whether it was designed by us or the computer. Yeah. Though you know what, sometimes you the computer just like the older it is, it just seems to like slow down and get and That's not function of, as well. How do you yeah. know it's not little like gremlins or something spawning inside oh the computer? Oh my gosh! <laughs> can can I just throw a wrench in this discussion? Please, do, I, please. I, I personally think the ISOs are a MacGuffin in this film. This is. As much as I love this film, this is probably the weakest part of the film for me, is the idea of the ISOs for two reasons. One, you alluded to it earlier, Paul, in that you felt like this was Tron 3 because there's this whole story about the ISOs that changed the game. And I felt like we didn't get enough time, not just to flesh out the scientific sci-fi questions, but even just the thematic questions about them. The other issue I have is the fact that as I'm watching this and this is the kind of the director brain in me. I'm thinking, okay, what elements would a writer or a plotter go through and say, okay, how can we get this character from point A to point B? So we had to get Sam off the grid to go meet his dad. Well, let's create, we can't, obviously Flynn can't go get him, so let's create something else. And I'm not saying this is what happened. This is just my brain, kind of my way of thinking it that I felt like we had a character and then we had to create a backstory about her, which is somewhat interesting, but I feel like the whole idea about the ISOs didn't, it didn't pay itself off at the end for me. At least there's that story of the ISOs didn't necessarily, and, and particularly uh, Cora, she's an interesting character, but she wasn't interesting enough for me. And then you have the, the whole idea about the ISOs that just didn't feel as fleshed out as the rest of the film. And so that, to me, made it feel like the the that Cora and the ISOs as, as an extension of that felt more like a MacGuffin or a means to get to this third act showdown between Flynn, Clue, and Sam all together. And which they could have got there without her, because maybe you know, just the, the difference in ideology between father and son. 
Well, right. no, you need you need someone else to have uh, a fake disc to give to Clue so that they mm. can get away. So because you can't give Sam's disc to Clue. No, but you could have a third person. You don't have to like. Oh, all of oh, a sudden a there's life. Oh, there's, oh, let's oh. introduce. You know, you could have put Ram back in there. I don't oh, know. Oh yeah, <laughs> I was just about to say you could some sort of Ram or okay. Can can I get a little a little like <laughs> fan fictiony? <laughs> You have a uh, Killian Murphy, which is so cool to see. I just like it when he's this in randomly, randomly in, in, in uh, movies. But you have him playing uh, Mr. Dillinger's son, I assume, because his last name is Dillinger also. Dillinger Absolutely. being the main guy from uh, Tron, uh, the main baddie from Tron. Uh, I would love it if there was some lingering of the MCP uh, in this system and almost like it awakened, but Flynn was able to find it and program it for good as opposed to Clue, who sort of became, he programmed originally and became bad. I think that would have been an interesting take to go with. And you could that, bring in that actor back and everything. And That would have been far more interesting to have Dillinger's character be the, the helper in instead of Korra. So mm-hmm. he's on the grid there. But then in the sequel of this, he's the betrayer because you think, oh, Dillinger's good now. We like Dillinger. But then if you were to continue the story, he's the betrayer. You know, after Clue's defeated, then he takes over. He was then, just biding his time. You know what but I then mean? You might, yeah, I do know him. But then you might say, well, but, you know, we want to have some uh, some female representation in this. Okay, make Mr. Dillinger have a daughter, not a son. I like Hillary right. Murphy, but you could right. get be have olivia wilde be his daughter essentially so yes agreed uh, that's what yes olivia wilde should have played dillinger in the real world yes exactly. but, but the okay. point isn't part of the point of the isos that that with her coming out into the world no 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 we get rid of the isos is what we're saying <laughs> but no the isos are interesting because they're they're coming out into they the are. world to make things better like that's that was what flynn wanted from the isos or, or what do you are mean? they well, that's, I had no that, idea. That's how is, back, yeah, to the confusion. How are they gonna? How is having Korra in the real world gonna all of a sudden cure sickness and change religion and philosophy? I, we I don't know because really Disney won't that. tell us. Like, they, geez, Disney, come I mean, on. That's the see. That's the next movie. Is is well, how does a program live in the real world? We've learned how mm-hmm. humans live in the program world, right? But yeah. now we don't get to see it, and that's oh, it's so disappointing. It is. But with that being said, I thought Cora as a character is fantastic. I thought that as just she just I, I think that she offered a great dichotomy between Flynn and Sam. I thought I her totally you could call it her na- naivety. Am I pronouncing that right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> sure. um, well, I, but I'll which, let you finish. But go ahead. <laughs> but I thought the way in which she looked at the world around her felt very i mean it was you could say naive but i thought it was very i mean innocent could be another great word for that childlike all these work well well she's a baby yeah exactly but the thing is what is a baby doing as they're growing up they're learning they're absorbing and i think that that's part of what makes her crying well yeah pooping Pooping. you know napping whatever you know in the digital world (laughs) she is like an infant in that she's absorbing all this stuff, but she doesn't know that she has, she knows that she has this power, but she doesn't know what it is. And she represents, I think a very cool idea of 
understanding great power, but not necessarily knowing how to harness it and being okay learning that instead of being the, 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 I guess maybe you could parallel that with clue and being someone who knows they have all the power, this power, and they attempt to exploit it. Whereas I think she might in some ways be stronger again, where a third movie would be phenomenal to explore this is <laughs> what kind of power does she actually have? We know that there's kind of a speculation about what she could do as an ISO, but we're never told. But I think it leaves the, her character open for a lot of interesting dialogue to talk about. Anyone? Unfortunately, Anyone? too much. It's just too open. They leave it too open. As far as we know, she's just a being, you know. So mm -hmm. the speculation what? starts from the beginning with with uh, Sam's parents, and it just keeps going more and more. I think they, that's helpful, though, that they leave it so open, because then they could go really anywhere with the sequel, as opposed to being hemmed in, like you know, Back to the Future style. Ah, uh, how do we get rid of a? Uh, uh, Jennifer. Jeez. Jennifer, thank you. I was going to say Jessica, but that wasn't right. Yeah, how do we get rid of Jennifer now? Uh, let's just trank her. So I think that's a, a good thing that they left it open. Again, Disney, we need another Tron movie. Because hey, they're listening, right? Hey, since you guys mentioned that, has have any has anybody other than me watched any of Tron Uprising? It's I on my list. just saw an ad for it on my DVD. I'm like, where has this thing been? Oh, XD. No wonder I've never seen it. But, um... <laughs> Okay, so oh, it's that's, also you're talking about an animated series, right? Is yeah, that it's also on. And it's a prequel to. It's also Legacy, on. Right? No, no, it's not. No. Oh, I thought it was. No, uh, -uh. it's on. Okay. Well, it's a pre. Yeah, I mean, Tron is alive, so it's. Are you saying it's a prequel to Legacy? Yes. Yes, yes. my bad. Yes, it is. It is between Tron and Tron Legacy. Um, it is the on one Hulu. Of the Tron universe. Yeah, kind of. It's on Hulu, uh, as well, Francisco. Because that's where the kids and I are, are working our way through the series. And I got to say, okay. it's phenomenal. Like, storytelling-wise, yeah. voice acting, and oh my goodness, the visuals are just unreal. It's oh, it's oh really God, special, it's too, because all of one of my favorite things about Tron is, is the di dichotomy or the difference in the colors and how they mm -hmm. represent mm -hmm. what a program is. In, in most cases, it started off as kind of good or bad. But mm -hmm. in uh, Tron Uprising... They there are tons of different colors and they represent all kinds of things like what's your job or, you know, what is your purpose in the system? And they're they're, you know, situated out by different colors. And so it's it's really, really good. Characters are super rich. Clue is obviously in it. Um, you know, Tron is gone uh, when we start it is where he's he's non non-existent as far as people know he's missing or whatever. So it is oh, that's highly enjoyable. Very cool. I was just gonna say, I in the ad they've said and Bruce Broxleitner as Tron. Mm -hmm. So is he in it in some capacity or he is? Yeah, I okay. won't tell you how, but he is okay. definitely. Good. He's not the main That's character. Simple. There's new characters. Yeah, we're not spoiling that. <laughs> so anyway, I I just highly recommend. So for those of us that want more Tron, it is a, an incredible uh, pro uh, program, incredible <laughs> show <laughs> that that any Tron fan should watch, and it's. Again, awesome. it's sad there's not more of it as well. They only got through like one big long season because it um, is so expensive to produce with the way the graphics are done. Yeah, and Disney is so hard up for money right now. So I, I, I can oh, completely sympathize. Man, yeah, they're, oh, they're the sympathetic villain right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, if they wouldn't make crappy looking DuckTales. 
Oh, oh dang. <laughs> More shots fired. More shots fired. <laughs> well, let's not talk about crappy visuals. Let's talk about really good visuals. And I want to talk a little bit about some of the technical stuff that we have going on in Tron Legacy because I think all four of us can agree that's what attracted us to this latest iteration is the is the visuals. And um, I absolutely fell in love with the grid and everything about it. I mentioned before, I think that if the the creators were thinking we need to we need to not just pay homage, but we need to throw this thing into what could be the future. And I love the narrative at the beginning where Flynn says, I tried to imagine what this world would be like. And what he said was exactly what, exactly, but it was generally what I was thinking when I thought about after watching Tron, like, is that what the, is that what the, the, you know, the, like, this is the first time we get to hear the word grid because it wasn't mentioned early in the first film, but it was also given like, yes, it was, I I was given validation. Like, yes, that's kind of what I was thinking. Yeah. Is it motorcycles? Is it, is it highways? What is it? And I thought that, what we got was in some ways not just a computer simulated looking thing, but really a whole different world. And I, I really think that was the a strength of the film is that these guys weren't just trying to create a digital cool factor thing. It was a let's create a world. Let's let's literally world build in this a whole new world, a whole new, you know, fancy free, all that good stuff. Gosh, you guys are terrible. Um, it's Disney. It works. Sure, it's in the it's in the realm of of Disney puns. So, I I, I just I love the I love the the way in which um, the the costumes were just everything around it that that built that was you know continuously being built from from Sam getting his his uniform you know even the way in which he was. Uh, transported from the laser you know from the real world into the digital world it did it wasn't that long you know almost like 12 seconds you know dot matrix laser it was like a and then a you know i you know i'm making all these noises but i just i thought that great care was taken to remind us of where we were and at the same time bring us forward into the actual year 2010 and say we were taking this seriously and I, I thought it was great. Well, I mean, I obviously completely agree. The visuals are incredible. And specifically, some of the fight scenes or action sequences in this movie mm-hmm. are just yeah, super, super cool. The light cycle sequence is just the stuff of, of geek dreams. <laughs> I could watch that on repeat over and over and over. Um, and then there's there's another sequence I really liked where they're in the light jet. That's one of the cool, this one introduced a lot of new vehicles and, mm-hmm. and new types of, of, uh, things into the world. There's the black guard or whatever they're called. They have like wing suits that are flying after oh, them. That and, was awesome. I thought they should have done more on that. They, right. Those are so cool. And there's yeah. that, that moment where, um, Sam is in the light jet and, and Flynn's like, you know, getting the turret and say, so I was like, oh, this I can do, right? And then you like, get that video game, kind of like a Han Solo and Luke moment, like in the Millennium Falcon, where he tells Luke to get in the turret. And, you know, and they're just like, you know, shooting him up from behind. It, it's those kind of sequences in this one are phenomenal and some of the just coolest action you will see in a movie. So the visuals are, oh, they're so top notch. 
And I think that just to your to your point, the practical effects. You mentioned the the choreography specifically in in the uh, in the disc disc wars disc games. We we could have been. And we saw a lot of slow mo, which is fine. I mean, it, you can be overly done or not. But I thought the the way in which we we showed actual like practical stunts with Rinsler and other. Uh, combatants and things like that. I thought those were really done well. I can appreciate practical effects, especially in a world where it's completely built in CG, that when you have this practicality to it, it, it gives it a sense of groundedness, in, in, even in this digital space. So I can really appreciate that. Well, I'm, you know, I'm just going to say for now, visuals were great. So I'll leave it there for now. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> um, when I first saw this, again, this... I thought the visuals of the uh, what's shoot I forgot the first one that that picks him up that was based on the old video game the Tron when he's first in recognizer the recognizer yeah the recognizer yeah. oh that was so great to see oh. that like the that, yeah. the 2.0 version oh and, and then the Tron face. cycles yeah I thought I honestly I was a little disappointed the first time I saw it I was like really you've had what 27 years to improve the cycle and this is what you came up with uh, maybe my expectations were too high after the recognizer but uh, subsequent viewings i've enjoyed the the cycles more and more um i now i can't think of anything that i disliked were there any visuals that you disliked that you thought they could have improved on because uh, i can't think of any now i have none personally um I can't think of uh, any. Jeff Bridges' face, young Jeff. Bridges. Oh yes, of course that. Yeah. Uh, oh come at on. The yeah, I I agree. I I like I, the way they do it now, where they take the the actor and they just digitally make take the wrinkles out now. Like, uh, like if you've uh, seen uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, oh. yeah. There's they. So that seems to be the trend. That seems to work way better than building a CG model. Yeah, I, I for the time. It looked great. There are some scenes where I'm like, wow, that's that could be him. That that looks photorealistic, not Uncanny Valley. But most of it for me was Uncanny Valley and didn't work quite well. Yeah, to me, I think at the very beginning, Flynn's face felt a little bit numb. It looked like he was kind of talking <laughs> with a slight kind of... Full of Botox. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it felt a, it felt a little, little stiff there. But the... Later on, when we get Clue interacting with adult with adult Sam, that didn't bother me at all. It was, I think, I was so immersed in the story and everything else going on around it that became really more of a nitpick. But it it was a little distracting at first, uh, but it didn't necessarily, you know, stay there for me. Mm. Well, it's you, still so, someone asked what was just, what didn't work visually, so that was mine. Okay, right, because someone I, I being called. It, 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 yeah, I thought it. I I still think it hurts the movie, unfortunately, um, especially at the beginning there. Well, this is why we have subjective art the way we do. <laughs> and like most subjectivity, I'm hoping that when we uh, begin to talk about our connecting points, which we'll lead into now, we will all look at the world a little differently or whatever. Unless you guys have some other stuff you want to talk about. Well, I I just want to mention before we move that. For me, the dialogue in this film is actually pretty exceptionally written. And I, oh, I think it deserves a, a note because it's not heady dialogue. It doesn't require, with the exception of like Clue's long speech and some, some pretty you know, good stuff there at the very, very end. It's, it's mostly like kind of shortened 
conversations and and things like that. There's not a lot of exposition. There's one scene with the dinner table, I think, where uh, Flynn is explaining to Sam what all happened. But I just really enjoyed kind of the the witty tone of the dialogue in this one. There's uh, there's the the moment at the very beginning where they're at Incom and <laughs> somebody says, I think it's uh, Alan. He's like, well, what did you do different this year? And the and the guy says. This year we put a twelve on the box, and and it just like that kind of <laughs> snappy dialogue really connected to me because I was like, yeah, that's exactly right, right? That's how we all feel about Windows. Oh, Windows seven, Windows eight. You just changed the number. What did you actually mm-hmm. do? Um, and then there's there's quite a few other little scenes there where there's the one with Sam and uh, Alan sticks out to me at the end where Alan's you know got the keys to the arcade and alan's telling him to go check it out and sam says alan you're acting like i'm gonna find him just sitting there working in his in the arcade hey Hey, kiddo lost track of time time. and sam says or alan just tosses him the keys says wouldn't that be something and so there's just like all these like little non-expository pieces of dialogue that i think are really really well done in this movie And 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 for me I like them. I laughed. I giggled. I kind of chuckled under my breath, and I and I thought that that gave it an extra element of enjoyment. Aaron, I I agree with you completely. Except <laughs> here it comes. <laughs> Drop the bomb. Uh, the the uh, some of Jeff Bridges' lines were just I don't know. They just were seemed to knock on the sky, man. Yes, that one exactly. <laughs> and okay, he says it fine, and then they repeat it in a in a uh response a call and response between sam and and Cora. i'm like really that bit of dialogue was so important we needed to hear it again i <laughs> i just did it in a, dig, in a sea, okay. in a Don't sea ruin of good sin. snappy awesome dialogue why <laughs> <laughs> Because he's channeling the dude, man. He's just trying to get his... Okay, <laughs> this may kick me off the show. This may be the third strike. I've never seen The Big Lebowski. 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 I've never Lebowski. seen that. So. I saw it's it for right. the first time earlier this year, so don't feel bad. No. Oh, okay. Good. You will not get kicked off the show for not having seen a certain movie because there are way too many movies out there that I think all of us can say we've never seen. And oh. I don't love it. I simply yeah. like it. So All right. I yeah, I, I have to I'll be honest there. So you're fine. Okay. Yeah, I, I will I, I will agree with, with Aaron and say that the dialogue overall was really well written. And Garrett Headland as an actor, I think is someone who I've only seen him in a handful of things and I've really enjoyed him in all those. I enjoyed him minus this. one. Minus one we did not enjoy him in. Okay. I hadn't seen that one. So Pan. there we go, Francisco. Oh, yes, you did. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Sorry. I'm sorry. Who who, who, played, who is Garrett Hedlund playing? Captain Hook. Uh, Captain. Or, no, he's just James. Just James Hook. He wasn't Whatever. Captain yet. In the movie Pan. James sorry. Hook. No, who is he in sorry. this movie? Oh, he's Sam. He's Sam Flynn. Oh, okay. Thank you. But the anyway. main character, Francisco. So, yeah. So, I guess he has forgettable roles, which, you know, I've, apparently I've just thrown myself into that one. But... I've seen him in a movie called Country Strong. He played opposite Gwyneth Paltrow. It was really good. He also he played in Friday. He played in Friday Night Lights, the motion picture that inspired a a, a great TV series. And he's just Is that got with James Vanderbeek. That's Varsity no, that's, Blues. That's a different one. That's a that's a different. I'm trolling now. I'll be. It's a different baseball movie, Francisco. Sports ball. 
sports ball for the win. <laughs> but I think as as a as an actor, I think what he brings to the character of Sam is one of you know, based on other things that I've seen him in, he brings that kind of distant, rebellious attitude that makes his character strong. I, I think one of my favorite lines is is right before, right after Bradley or uh, Alan says, uh, "I got a page from your father's work." Whoa, man, rocking the <laughs> rocking pager. the pager, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but he's got that real, just kind of deep, growly voice that just—I don't know—it it it felt grating at first. But as I've watched this on subsequent viewings and seen him in other things, it's just kind of grown on me. I think it kind of supports his character of being very laid back, much like the attitude, the idea of Kevin Flynn. I think he echoes the attitude of his dad in a lot of ways with Sam. Just this kind of, not just being rebellious, but also being like, look, it's it's all good. I'm not I'm not the CEO type, you know. This is and that's exactly who Kevin Flynn is. He's just more eccentric but, in it. But you know what? Going back to the whole father-son relationship, and these are a couple of the moments I've loved in his performance. When he meets Clue thinking Clue is his father, and Clue just said I expected more. And you could almost oh, see this yeah. fallenness on his face. Like, oh, my gosh. I... It's a great line of dialogue. <laughs> yeah. And then. Oh, good point. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> I just said the one. Uh, anyway. <laughs> Get him. Um, Get him. <laughs> the, and then when that scene at the table, when he's going sort of listing off all his sort of failures and he can see like his dad's sort of disappointment it it looks like he's trying to mask like oh no it's okay it's uh, yeah a dog it's a rescue and yeah it's it's okay dad and i i felt like it was very um a very subtle play of that uh relationship between um him and his dad and how he didn't want to disappoint so he's trying to play it off that it's no it's it's good no you don't have to worry Especially after he had just had this moment with Clue where it's like, oh, I have to be guarded because maybe my real dad's going to come off like that. Mm. Although yeah. seeing, seeing Flynn hug Sam like he did when he sees him, yeah. oh, I just I love that so much. It just made me so happy to like, oh my gosh, my son. Oh. So, Well, the last thing, Patrick, before we hit connecting points, I just want to hit on it. And, and, or it's not really a topic. I just want to point out how much I love this because I think that it speaks to the really awesome direction and storytelling device or the way that they do it in this movie is I love how we get Sam with a motorcycle and base jumping. And I love the video game, like sneaking into Incom stealthily around the corner, using the laser pointer, all of the way that that whole opening sequence is done. It feels like a video game for one, which to me is like a very, nice subtle way of being like okay this is tron right and then it also to me establishes sam's character so well without using any dialogue so we know right off the bat sam has physicality he is kind of an extreme sports junkie type kind of guy so we know okay when this guy gets in the grid he's gonna be all right because we know he's gonna get in the games we now we understand like he can hold his own where when Flynn was in the games, Flynn's a freaking computer programmer that sits around and eats Cheetos and, you know, drinks Pepsi um, during podcasts or I mean, uh, during uh, work. <laughs> and so, you know, what I, but you know what I mean? Like, we don't have yeah. any reason to think Flynn could be a specimen of, of physicality inside of the grid. But we do think that Sam can. And I loved the way that they established that. 
I absolutely agree with that. I think, yeah, it, it's it, those establishing shots early on are not only exciting, but also very much uh, effective to helping us believe in what Sam's capable of. Agreed. And he didn't have to beat space paranoids to do that. So that's great. You know, <laughs> well, I preemptively tried to move into uh, the connecting point earlier. So if I can do that now, I get thumbs up from everybody, but we're good to go. All right. I love it. I wish we could have just screen cap that. <laughs> oh, wait, Francisco, stop being a downer. You're off the show. Click. <laughs> <laughs> go see the big Lebowski or something. <laughs> and happy birthday. And happy birthday. Yes. Happy birthday, Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, John. All right. So, Aaron, let's start with you. What was your connecting point from Tron Legacy? Well, Francisco's been a downer this whole episode. He tried to steal my connecting point earlier as well. Uh, when he was talking about the ending <laughs> of the film, uh, you know, we love you, Francisco. There, there are so many impactful moments in this movie. I mean, I've told you guys how much I just unabashedly love it. I mean, this is a, this is a top film forever of me. Wait, top film of mine in forever? That's a terrible way to word that. But the one, the scene that I really connected with the most during this particular viewing was when Flynn and Clue square off at the end. Uh, you get this Jeff Bridges on Jeff Bridges action on a bridge. And again, <laughs> the dialogue. Some of the dialogue. So many here. bridges. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, but I just got that. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Clue says, I did everything, everything you ever asked. And then Flynn just says, I know you did. And Clue says, I executed the plan. And Flynn says, as you saw it. And we, we talked about this uh, in detail a little bit about how you know, we realized there that, that Clue fully is just f- doing what he's created to do. And Flynn says, the thing about perfection is that it's unknowable, it's impossible, but it's right in front of us the whole time. You wouldn't know that because I didn't when I created you. And so that whole idea that's, that's kind of explored right there um, about the creator and the creation and how clue has becomes a sympathetic character for me that really hit home because i feel like flynn is offering a genuine apology in that moment as well when he says i'm sorry like he means it he really does mean it and right after that clue obviously gets angry there's the big fight but then there's that moment where clue realizes that flynn is choosing sam and he simply says Flynn just says, he's my son. And I see this amazing like face on Clue of, crap, well, I'm your son too, but clearly he is choosing someone else. He is not choosing me. He's choosing his biological son. Um, and so I feel like it's just very heartbreaking for me seeing the way that, that Clue is in that moment. And the whole the whole way the climax plays out works so well for me. I love Sam and Cora escaping, and I love them riding on the motorcycle, going to see the sunset that he described earlier in the film for the first time, and talking about how they agree to change the world. And I just I felt like it was kind of perfectly built up and, and, and executed as far as the whole way that last sequence and ending played out. The way he executed Clue there? Exactly. Lots of execution going on on the bridges. End of line. <laughs> End of line. <laughs> Francisco, what about you? What was your connecting point? So speaking of stealing stuff, um, you guys pretty much have talked to it a lot. But, oh, my gosh, the visuals of this movie. Wow. So, like, that moment, like, 
Paul, I think, said uh, when he gets in, when he's in the grid and you see the recognizer over him and it just looks so neon red and it has the the um, light blur from the jet engines or whatever it is and uh, that same sort of blur around the, the discs and the reimagined light suits and the light cycles and and this world, I know it's all CG, but it feels so cohesive and so like I don't, I don't know if it's just because they make it all glass or what it is, but it feels like this is a real place. And I don't know why, especially when I think of something like the Phantom Menace, where that is all made in the computer too, but it kind of looks just all fake. I don't know why this though looks real even though i definitely know it's all fake because it's not made to look real while the other is Uh, okay that that's probably exactly very valid point yes but yeah this just i i want to go here i want to be on the grid because it just looks so beautiful i love how massive the buildings are and how bright they are and uh it's just it's just so beautiful they were massive and Right on the first movie, they were, but they weren't as bright. Oh no! Come on, the first movie. Go watch the first movie after this, and and it is. I'm sorry, but unfortunately, it takes a huge step back when you watch it. Oh, of course, yeah, yeah. And this one has an end of line club, so you just can't go wrong with that. So good stuff. (laughs) Is that is the club called End of Line? Yeah, it's called End of Line. Yeah, the End of Line Club. Caster's Club, and of course, there's references to Caster and Rome, and and we, Mm -hmm. we didn't go into that, but. Lots of good I have stuff. to watch this again. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I love these visuals. I, and some just another detail I want to mention, and I'll I'll stop going gaga over these. But the fireworks when they're in the going to the mm-hmm. games, they're yeah. all geometric shapes. Like they explode in a geometric shape, which is so cool. And it took me a couple times watching. I think even my wife pointed it out to me. I'm like, oh yeah, that's so cool. Um, so it's lots of lots of care taking yes taking, uh, taking absolutely those, and hearing that aaron you say that um tron uprising the visuals look astounding just makes me want to watch it more you're gonna so, you're gonna love you. it awesome paul what about you man what was your connecting point i had mentioned earlier that when i first saw this film the the daft punk music was kind of a little distracting for me but uh as i've grown to uh, watch the movie over and actually listen to the soundtrack way more often than I've seen the movie. I've actually grown to love the soundtrack of this so much. Totally. In fact, this last time, every time there were moments where there was just this the music playing, it kind of refocused me into the movie. It, it, oh. I don't. I don't know why, but it was like, okay, here we go. All right. Yeah, you're right in or whatever you're doing. You're like, okay, let's get into this. It brought it up to a, yes, the visuals, fantastic, except for the, the uh, weird valley, whatever you call that. Um, uncanny valley. Uncanny <laughs> valley. And, and then the music, I think just, it brings it up to another level and it fits. There's so many movies out there where the music kind of doesn't fit. This fits so well with this environment. It's it it makes other movies look bad when you try to compare scores and how you the mean score... sound bad. No, it that too. But it makes some um, doesn't feel as complete as a movie should, if that makes sense. So um, mm. there are definitely moments. 
And even like the main theme, you can hear it in the in the um like the end credits where it just has these these fun beats, but yet the slow melody attached to it. I thought it was a a, a great blend, and and they just knocked it out of the park. So when people talk about this movie, this has become my favorite part of the movie is the soundtrack. Have Have you listened to the the reconfigured? I think the remix yes. version of it. Okay. Yes, I prefer the original. For sure, but the yeah, the original feels a lot more. I mean, it's very much of a score. There's yeah. a lot of great. Great moment, which I think is a just a huge thing for Daft Punk because, first of all, I, I love your connecting point because I did not know much about Daft Punk until this film, and mm. this film and that the, the the entrance into that caused me to go back and revisit some of their other like mainstream like stuff, and then of course they're better, faster, the, stronger. But even their newest album has so much diversity to it in terms of just each mm. song and it's so enjoyable to listen to but even reconfigured with which is basically every every song remixed by other artists is fantastic too but i agree i think the the soundtrack as a whole feels very much it's epic it's just good stuff yeah. <laughs> it's one of the very very few soundtracks that i can put on and listen to straight through there's no break mm. i don't need to skip a track i don't have mm. any desire to skip a track i can just put it on go through it completely and listen to it as a, as a total, totally standalone activity um, yeah. aside from the film. It is, it is absolutely one of the most perfectly meshed scores for a film that we've ever gotten in history. I don't mm-hmm. think that that is, I really just think, feel like that's undeniable. Yeah. As you guys say that, I'm thinking what other scores have I listened to this straight through and been completely content to just listen through. I, very, I think there are few. some, very, I think Conan the Barbarian might be one, and maybe, maybe no. I was gonna say Scott Program versus the World, but there's a couple of the Inception that are just good like, too. Eh. Inception's really good. The one that mm-hmm. I remember from years ago for me that the first one I remember actually doing this with was Jurassic Park. Um, I could listen to that one all the way through, but I, I do think that this is probably number one on that list for me. Yeah, well. yeah, it, d- as a whole as a cohesive unit, it feels like its own story as you listen to the, to the, to the soundtrack for me, when I listen Mm. to it, I don't feel like I'm listening to, I mean, there are definitely different songs throughout it and they all represent a different moment in the film, but I can, I think I've mentioned this before that when I can listen to a soundtrack and visualize the scenes that it's related to, that's a successful soundtrack to me because now you're, 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 you've, you've, from an oral standpoint connected me to the film beyond just a visual or other kind of connection that there, there would be those drums so, on the grid stuff on the games. Oh, Oh yeah. Those <laughs> drums. Oh man. <laughs> Which as I sing it, it just, it reminds me of Terminator all of a sudden, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, even the overture reminds me a little bit of Hans Zimmer's man of steel score. Just the, the opening, the opening scene to it, just that very ominous, just that. Yeah. Anyway. Oh, 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 that Hans Zimmer wishes he was that melod. Whoa. Okay. We better just cut that. We're going to back up. You are back that out. Yep. (laughs) Goodbye. Too bad. You stayed around the whole, I do want to say, (laughs) I do want to say that Paul being the Hans Zimmer detractor that he's, he likes this, music so much i think i mean because so many people like Hans zimmer 
and Paul doesn't. So for Paul to like a score this much, I think it's saying something. So well, I did say the inception is is fantastic, I, and okay, that is fine. Hansen. I'm trying to make a case for what you're saying, Paul. But whatever. <laughs> no, I'm saying. Look, I know good music. I'll even give Hans Zimmer his day when he has one. Strike oh boy, <laughs> Patrick! <laughs> Patrick, you better hurry and get to your connecting let me just, point. Let me just move my connecting point, guys, uh, to lighten the load a little bit. <laughs> oh, please do. <laughs> and I'm going to give credit where credit is due. The moment that Sam goes onto the game grid, not goes into the grid, but goes onto the game grid to um, to fight in Disc Wars or whatever it's called, we see this. Yeah, we see this establishing shot of the stadium. I guess what you'd call a stadium. We hear the crowd noise, which, by the way, I read that the crowd noise that we hear is actual recorded crowd noise from when the first footage of Tron Legacy debuted at Comic-Con. That is so awesome. That is really cool. So we're getting a little meta here, a little bit of tribute. I love it. And then um, we get that score from Daft Punk. And the track, I, I specifically looked it up, the track is called Arena. And it's got exactly what you were talking about, Aaron. It's got that. It's got do 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 do. And it just love that song. About like it's it's a minute and thirty three seconds, and about a minute in is when the drums start rolling in. And I, I just I lost it whenever I remember it being in the theater and just being this moment. I'm like gripping the arms of my, of my of my seat, and I'm going, yes, this is it. I am on the grid. I'm experiencing Tron. And I just, I, I remember thinking, this is how it should look. This is what I wanted from Tron for as many times as I've seen it, as much as I appreciate it. The one thing that people will always go back to is that those graphics are so dated that it feels very much like a film from the 80s. And when I see this, it just encompasses what I feel like the creators said, this is what we wanted. This is what we wanted our fans to see and hear and experience. And I talked about it at the beginning that this is where the energy really, I think finds its peak is in this moment, because then we're going to start getting into some more action. We're going to get into the disc games and we get introduced to Rinsler, who is a fantastic character, even before we find out who he actually is. And then it's just what was ahead of its time back in the eighties now feels perfect right here in, in this moment, uh, in this particular year, 2010. And then, it just made me want a third film and you know, whatever Disney uh, I'll just live with Tron uprising and, and try to be a happy camper. Or if I get better as a director, I'll come up with a third film in like 15 years and people will hopefully appreciate that. But so (laughs) that was my connecting point. It sort of in a microcosm just kind of encompassed my whole feeling throughout the film. And in that one moment, well, that's well guys, Thank you. Yeah, it's it was just good stuff. So, well, guys, I appreciate we appreciate you guys being on the show as always for the second time. Hopefully, we can have you back again for maybe a future crossover with something. But uh, thanks for letting us come back. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, so I think Francisco, you're at two strikes. Paul, you're 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 at two. You're <laughs> no, at two Francisco days. is at like five on. strikes. Patrick, oh, five strikes. Francisco has been thrown out of the ball game. Okay. <laughs> I love and football. Do- <laughs> <laughs> and don't worry, Pat. You can come over to some of our 80s parties, you know. <laughs> Why do I feel like I just got dunked on? As long as there's Exactly. Coke right, Great dialogue. See, you, you, it writes itself. <laughs> it writes itself. 
And also, I referenced basketball when you guys were doing Facebook. Oh, my. Be quiet, Francisco. Francisco's ready to plug his stuff, so why don't you go ahead and do that? Go ahead. I shall. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Oh, yeah. Thank thank you again, Aaron Pat and Patch, for having us on. Um, You can find uh, me specifically, uh, stuff made by Francisco, uh, on Instagram and Twitter mainly. I'm at FXRUIZX. Uh, and you can find me and Paul's show. We do the Retro Rewind Podcast, which is at RetroRewindPodcast.com or on all the socials as at Retro Rewind Pod. And if you're curious of to hear what Patch uh, said about Tron, the original, you can go to RetroRewindPodcast.com slash 122 to listen to that episode. Paul, what about you? Where can right. people find you on the web? People can find me at Get this, www.pauljpowers.com. That's right. I have all my social media links there. You can find out um, whatever you want about me, even like all the stuff that I didn't even know. It's on there. Paul, I've been meaning to say you might want to take your social security number off that. Well, you know, I, I subscribe to that thing where it like protects me and I could put it out there. So <laughs> I'm hoping to win a million dollars when someone steals my identity. <laughs> Gosh, weirdos. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully that's not uh, anywhere that uh, that I exist on the web. And you can find me at <laughs> at the big three: Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. At this is Shoeless Patch S H O E L E S S P A T C H. I also have a website called thisispatch.com. You can find out more about me and stuff that uh, that makes me who I am. Aaron, what about you, man? Uh, I can be found all over the internet at Aaron L. White, A-A-R-O-N-E-L-W-H-I-T-E. And, of course, tweeting from our show Twitter account at Feelin' Film. Please do check out our Facebook group. Actually, we both have Facebook groups. Retro Rewind Podcast has one as well. Uh, you can come and join both the Feelin' Film and Retro Rewind Podcast Facebook groups for awesome movie conversations all week long. Uh, very engaging groups of people talking about different types of films and different things during the week. So they're great places to come join the conversation. And for, right now we're having a twofer. If you join one group, you can join the other one for free. Uh, Boom. Check uh, that out. You're right. It's a special While supplies deal. last. Uh, only this we'll week. in a Hans Zimmer score. <laughs> well, um, the other thing, Patrick, I want to do is just remind everyone about tabletop flicks. That's our new show. That's under the feeling film banner uh, where myself and a couple friends are taking board games and film and talking about them with a joint theme. So we pick a theme like disease (laughs) or uh, dinosaurs is our upcoming episode. And we talk about some movies and some board games that would make for a fun thematic evening. If you were going to have some friends over and you wanted to do both of those activities so you could put them together and have a great time. So check that out. You can find it on iTunes, Stitcher, Google play, et cetera, everywhere you can find feel and film. You can also find tabletop flicks and the links to that are in the show notes as well as all of these guys info uh next week for us we are bringing back our old pal andrew dice of screenrant.com to talk about a movie that he absolutely loves and he wanted to talk about so we agreed because we love andrew so much so we are going to be covering the amazing award should have been winning film (laughs) with kevin costner Waterworld. I have not seen this movie since I was a child. So 
this will be a fun experience. I uh, hope you guys come back and join us next week for that episode. Yeah, this will be a first time watch for me. I've never seen Waterworld uh, because I heard so much dumping on it that apparently I believe the critics and glad I have this podcast and friends like Aaron and Andrew that I can now experience this from a, from a different standpoint. So I'm excited to get my first time viewing going on this week and a chance to talk with you guys about the film next week. But that's it for us. Thank you guys for listening. Francisco, Paul, thank you guys again for being on the show. It's always a pleasure having you on. And um, in the meantime, as we always say, stay positive. And keep feeling film. End of line. <laughs>